Okay, so I'm going to start with a, a scripture that I want to share with you guys real quickly. Um, it's out of Proverbs, so if you have a Bible or a Bible app or whatever it is you use, if you have it memorized, then go to that place in your brain. But we're going to read uh, from Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. And if you've been saved for a while, you know this verse. You could probably recite it. But uh, I'm going to read it because it's the context for my, for my message today. It says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will direct your paths. I've entitled my message today, Trusting God When You Don't Understand. Trusting God When You Don't Understand. This is not a very easy word to bring because I don't want it to be a downer. I want to encourage you today, and I believe you will be encouraged. But there's a, a level of, of life with God that we have to be able to trust him when we don't understand what's going on. How many of you know it's easy to trust God when things are going great? It's real easy. Things are smooth. If everything's going the way that you think it's supposed to go, trusting God's a piece of cake. We're just riding along. We're having a good old time. Worship's easy. You lift your hands. You can, you can dance like Presley up here. He's obviously not going through any hard times right now. Amen? I'm just kidding. I don't know. He may be, but I believe he would worship through it. Amen. Um, but our faith and our trust in God is, is tested and it's revealed when we go through difficult times in life. That is just a, it's a, it's a point, it's a fact that for those of us, as we're walking with God, we have to, the way we're going to learn whether or not we really trust him is to go through trials in life. And we're pretty much promised that we're going to have trials in life. And not pretty much, we definitely are. And I'm going to share some verses that will encourage you in that today or challenge you in that. But um, th- this, this word is really close to my heart right now because as Jessica mentioned a minute ago, uh, for those of you that are part of the New Hope family, you know that we, we lost a dear, dear sister in this church two weeks ago today, actually. Uh, she went home to be with the Lord and and uh, it was, it's, been a, it's been a difficult time for the Rodriguez family, to say the least. She, she was 31 years old, uh, had everything going for her. She had a wonderful husband that she loved and a beautiful little child, Leah, the 17 months old, had a great family. And uh, two weeks ago today, she, uh, she lost her battle with whatever it was she was battling with. And I happened to be with Daniel, her husband, at the hospital in Emory, at, at Emory Hospital in Atlanta, when we heard the doctor say, I'm calling it, time of death, 2.58 a.m. And uh, that is a moment that will stand still in my life for the rest of my life because, you know, that's something you see on television. You hear about it. You may have watched, you know, if you're my generation, you watched ER, this generation, I don't know what it is, all the emergency room shows that, where you see people, that, that kind of stuff happens all the time. You watch it on TV, you don't think anything of it. You know, it's just part of the script. But when it's real life, it's a totally different situation. And I found myself asking God, how in the world did this just happen? My heart was broken for Daniel, seeing him as he realized that his wife was gone. And I remember going out in the hallway and I just paced the hall for a little bit by myself. It was just Daniel and I were the only ones there. I drove him to Atlanta to be there with her and the family was gonna come the next day because we just thought it was, we had no idea that what we were going into. And I remember walking the hall and just saying, God, this cannot be happening. This isn't right. This is not right. She's 31 years old. She has a little girl. She was a wonderful mother, had a great career. This isn't right, God. And, you know, the older I get, the more I realize that there's just a lot of junk that's going on in this world. There is a lot of junk in this world. You know, we're in the digital age where we get to see everything that happens almost as it happens. We find out stuff immediately. You know, the, the, the Russian plane that crashed in Egypt this week, you know, 250 some odd people were killed. 17 of them were children. And I just think that's not right, God. That's not right. 
How does that stuff happen? How does some of this, how does, why does bad stuff happen to good people? And why does good stuff happen to bad people? You know, we see leaders all over the world that are, that are getting, that are corrupt and getting more powerful all the time. Not all leaders are corrupt, but the ones that we see that obviously are, they're gaining power and riches while their people are suffering and dying. And this stuff just goes on all the time. And it's interesting because, you know, for the world, when we, when we share the gospel, if you ever shared your faith with someone that wasn't saved and you try to talk to them about Jesus, you know, one of the biggest hurdles that, that unsaved people have to get over to accept Jesus into their life is what you hear all the time. They say, well, if God is so good, if he's so wonderful, if he loves me so much, then why does all this stuff happen in my life? Or why is there so much suffering in the world? If God's so good, why is there a, a organization over in the Middle East that's cutting people's heads off? Like, how could a good God allow that stuff to happen? Kids starving all over the world. If God's so great, why is that happening? And that's something that's difficult for the world to understand. But we can understand that because it's difficult for us to understand sometimes. But the thing is, for us as believers, we have something different than what the world has. See, we have the Word of God and we have a faith and we have the Holy Spirit that can encourage us and show us that, you know what, we may not understand it, but we can trust God through it. Amen? That's what Proverbs says. That's the whole thing about that verse in Proverbs is that it says to lean not on your own understanding. You know why God doesn't want us to lean on our own understanding? Because our understanding is junk. Our understanding is all about us. My understanding is what I want it to be. I wanted this to happen. It didn't happen. I don't get that. I need to understand this. That's, that's my understanding. God says, no, 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 no. Don't lean on your own understanding because your understanding is carnal. You have a finite mind. I'm infinite. I'm all-knowing. I'm all-powerful. So what you can do is you can trust me and trust that I'm working in this situation. And I'm working in it for your good. And so we have to be able to stand on that as believers and know that it's okay that we don't understand everything that happens. And I'm going to make a statement that I really want you guys to, to take home with you today. I want you to know that as Christians, we are going to have to learn to trust God or we're going to drive ourselves crazy. You will literally drive yourself crazy unless you learn to trust God, even when you don't understand. It really does boil down to that because you will never understand everything that's happening in your life, in the world, in your family's lives. If you have a uh, a, your spouse has left you or your family's fallen apart, you lost your job for no good reason, or you were passed over for a promotion, or you have financial difficulties, whatever it may be, you may not understand it. You may not be able to figure it out. You may not be able to put it in a little box and say, oh, okay, this is why it's happening. Most of the time, that's not going to happen. But what we can do is we can trust that, that God is in it and that he is with us and he will never leave us or forsake us. One of the last things Jesus said on this earth was that I am with you to the very end of the age. He'll never leave you. He never forsakes you. So we can stand on that and know that he is with us, that he'll always be with us and we can trust him in that. So what I wanna do today is give you five points on trusting the Lord more in your life when you don't understand. Five points that'll help us to trust him when we don't understand what's going on. And let me just say in the onset of this that you know the Bible... It's such a great tool for us. And the Bible actually gives us permission to trust the Lord and to not lean on our own understanding. That's what that verse in Proverbs does. It gives us permission to say, okay, I don't have to figure this out. It's actually very freeing for us when that sinks into our spirit. Okay, I don't have to figure this out. Daniel does not have to figure out why Angela is, is gone after 31 years. He's never going to figure it out. Medically, they may figure it out what happened. But as far as the spiritual aspect of it, he's never going to be able to say, okay, so that's why. You know, we look for encouraging signs and there've been a lot of encouraging things that have happened even since she passed that we've seen God's faithfulness these last two weeks. We've seen it, but that still doesn't answer the question. 
And we have to be okay with not being able to answer the question sometimes and to be able to say, God, I don't get it. I don't understand it, but I trust you. And so the first key that I want to give you is that we need to recognize the enemy's tactics in our lives. Okay? And church, I want to encourage you, and I know that most of you or the majority of you know this, but it's something we need to remember is that there is an enemy out there that he hates your guts. He despises you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to do everything he can to make you unproductive and miserable. And so we have to understand what his tactics are. We have to understand what he's doing and how he works so that we can see it when he's trying to work in our lives and we can battle against it. And the first thing he would want you to do that I think that I want to mention today is he would want you to have a very narcissistic Christianity. He wants your faith to be all about you. See, he can't stop you from getting saved. If you got saved, he lost you for eternity, but he can still try to do everything he can do to make you less productive while you're here. And one of the things he does to make you less productive is to make your Christianity all about you. You know, there's, there's people that will preach this, this message that, you know, if you'll just come to Jesus, if you just come to Jesus, he'll make everything great. Everything will be wonderful. Oh, and if you tithe and give above and beyond, he's going to make you rich. And oh, he's going to take care of everything that's wrong in your life. You won't have to worry about it. It's going to be smooth as silk. Life's just going to be a dream for you. Just come to Jesus. Just come to Jesus. And a lot of people got saved under that pretense. Lots of people, probably some in this room. But what happens is when that first trial comes after you get saved, because you get on that honeymoon with Jesus for a while and everything's great and he seems to answer your prayers like almost before you pray them and everything just seems to work out. And then all of a sudden you grow up a little bit in your faith and you realize, hmm, he's not doing everything I wanted him to do. And so you have a trial that comes in your life and it may be something minor, it may be something huge. But what happens when that trial comes, if our faith and our Christianity is based on uh, God and what he can do for us, then we get mad at God. The first thing we do when things don't go our way is we get mad at God. And we shake our fist at God and we say, God, I've served you. I gave my life for you. I accept you. I went to the altar and prayed a prayer. I even cried. And here you are not doing what I need you to do. But see what that is, it's, we got it completely backwards. We sometimes think that God is here for us. When in reality, we're here for God. This is all his, everything's his. He allows us to be part of it. You know, he, he saw the sin in the world. And he said, okay, we got to make a way here. So since Jesus, Jesus comes, lives a sinless life, dies a sinner's death on a cross and raises from the dead so that we can be forgiven of our sins. So we can be with him so that we can take part of his kingdom. Do you hear what I'm saying? Everything is about him. Everything's his kingdom, his glory, his goodness, his grace, his mercy. We're just getting to be part of it because he's so great. And because of that, we should never be here in our, in our life, in our Christian life saying, oh God, why aren't you doing this for me? I'm serving you. You know what? Frankly, just us serving him or saying a prayer or coming to church or doing everything we know to do, the Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. So even everything we do, we could be as great as we know how to be. It's still not good enough. Apart from the blood of Christ, apart from the grace of God in our lives, we're still headed on a fast track to hell. And so he doesn't owe us anything for that, but he's so good that he does it anyway. And he gives us that life, that life abundantly. But Satan would want you to think that your faith is about you. And oh God, you're lucky that I said that prayer got saved. Boy, God's loving having me, you know. The angels are rejoicing in heaven because, because I got saved. And they are. But that doesn't mean that it's about you. It's about him. They're just excited because they snatched another one out of the pit of hell. Amen? And so the, the other thing that I would say about what the enemy would want you to do in your walk with God is to have a questioning spirit. And a questioning spirit is straight from the enemy himself. Now, don't get me wrong. When I say a questioning spirit, I don't think that 
for someone who had a tragic loss like the Rodriguez family, for them to be saying, God, why did this happen? To be asking God why and questioning God. I don't, there's nothing wrong with that. For a season, that's okay because they're reacting to something that had happened. But a questioning spirit is living a lifestyle of being very pessimistic and questioning everything. And if things don't go your way, that you get upset about it and you, you blame God or you blame whoever because you think should, things should be going your way because of what you're doing. That's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to have a questioning spirit. God, I prayed and I fasted for this person to be healed and they never got healed and they died. I don't, that doesn't make any sense. And, and you start questioning God. Well, maybe God's not even real. Maybe he doesn't care about us. Maybe this whole gospel thing we're talking about is a bunch of hooey. And that's a questioning spirit. And that's what the enemy wants you to have. But let me tell you today that there is just as much damage done to the enemy's kingdom. Now listen to me in this. If, if you are, let's, let's take Daniel as, as an example. For Daniel to have lost what he lost in the last two weeks and for him to continue to love, obey, serve, and worship God, that does just as much damage to the enemy's kingdom as if, the enemy had ra- or as if God had raised her up from the dead. Just as much damage. His plan is that we would resent God or that we would be angry or, or question God. It's, it's not about that. It's about, will you worship me no matter what? Will you live for me no matter what? And if we see that that's what the enemy wants and, and if we, we recognize that, oh, me having that questioning spirit, that's really not of God, then we can stand up and say, okay, God help me to, to not have that, that spirit anymore. And, and God will help you in that. So we need to come against what the enemy would want to do in our lives. Um, I want to share a quick personal story with you. Um, I, uh, I've got migraine headaches that I've received or that I started getting back in junior high. Um, it's kind of hereditary. I, my grandmother used to get them a lot. My mom used to get them. And unfortunately it seems like it was passed on to me. And, uh, it, you know, it's really debilitating at times. If you get migraines, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And, uh, one day it was about six years ago. I was here in church. I was sitting second row right there. And during praise and worship, and all of a sudden, I just felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, I've just healed you. And I was like, oh my goodness. I mean, I was, it was hard for me to even stay in my seat the rest of the service. And I was so excited because I felt, it just felt different. And uh, Joy, my wife wasn't here that day because I think one of our kids was sick. So as soon as I got out of church, I ran to the parking lot, I grabbed my phone and I called Joy and I said, you're not gonna believe this. I feel like the Lord has healed me. And she goes, yeah, I know. She said, I was having church here at home by myself and the Lord already told me. And I was like, "Woo! that's confirmation, you know, like that it's done. It's a done deal. Like go throw all your medicine away and do whatever you want to do. Throw away your sunglasses because you're never going to have to wear them again. And, uh, unfortunately about a month later, I got one of the worst migraines of my life. And, you know, I don't share this story much. In fact, I labored over whether or not to even share this story because the last thing I want to do is discourage anyone here. But I feel like the Lord has, has encouraged and challenged me to share this today because I think it will minister to you guys because what I want to tell you is that just because I still get migraine headaches doesn't mean that God's not good. It doesn't even mean that he hasn't healed me. The healing hasn't necessarily manifested in my body, but I believe that God has healed me. You know what? If, and I'm still asking him constantly to please relieve me of these, to do whatever he could do, whatever needs to be done to relieve me of these. And you know what? The, the, the fact of the matter is I'm trusting him through it. It hasn't wavered me in my faith one bit. It, you know what? Maybe I miss God. I don't know. 
I don't have the answer for it. But, you know, the thing about the American church is that the narrative, especially amongst, amongst us Pentecostals, is that, you know, we stand on faith. We believe for healing. We believe for all these great things that, that we think should happen. And if it doesn't happen, well, then we just don't talk about it anymore. You know, like, uh, well, you know, I don't know. We don't talk about that. But the truth of the matter is the world needs, the world sees that too. The world sees that sometimes these things Christians say are always going to happen, don't happen. And we need to be able to have an answer. We need to be able to say, you know what? We don't understand. I, I can't understand it. I can't figure it out. But I, all I know is that my God is awesome. My God is good. And he's worth me worshiping and living for him no matter what. Amen. And we can trust God through these things. And you know what? If I don't receive my healing until the day I die, I'm still going to be healed. And I'm believing God for that. And we can't be afraid to talk about these things and, and be willing to say, okay, we don't get it. It is totally fine to get up here and say, I don't understand it. I don't. I don't. God's mind is so infinitely bigger and further than mine is and any of ours are that there's no way we're going to understand some things. But it doesn't change the fact that we can continue to trust him and walk with him and know that he is good. If our faith and our reason, our reasoning clash, our faith has to win. It has to win. My faith and my reason clashed a lot over the last two weeks thinking about Angela. It just doesn't make sense to me. And it clashes a lot. But every time it does, I purpose in my heart to tell myself, you know what? It's okay, God. I trust you. Your plans are greater. Your purposes are higher. You are better than anything that I can even think or dream about. So I'm going to trust you. And that's how we can walk through our life. So the second thing, the second key to trusting God when we don't understand is that we need to know God's word and his promises. It's so important, church, that we know the word of God. Uh, this is something that is so, I, I believe, is so powerful and so important for us as a church. The church as a whole is becoming so Bible illiterate. We, we've gotten away from reading our Bible. Our lives are getting so busy, and reading the Bible has almost become a thing of the past for so many Christians, and it's so damaging to us. We have to know the word to be able to fight in this life, to be able to live this life the way God would want us to live it. And some of us get mad at God when things don't go the way we want them to go because we have this faith that's based on what God can do for us rather than what, on the, what the word says about who he is. You know, if things don't go the way I think they should go, I get upset. But if I read the word and I understand the word and it's hidden in my heart, then I understand, okay, you know what? Bad things happen to a lot of really good people in the Bible too. Is God different today than he was then? There's, there's no promise that everything is just going to go perfect and squeaky clean for us the rest of our life. And we have to be able to understand that we can trust him in the midst of those things. Do we stand on faith and believe for the healings, for the provision, for the miracles that we need? Of course we do. We stand on those. We, don't, we hold on to those like a pit bull. We believe for those things. But we have to be okay if those things don't happen the way we want them to. We have to be okay with those things. It doesn't mean we accept them and just say, oh, well, whatever. It's not that. It's, it's that I don't want this to happen, but I'm worshiping in spite of it. Because he's worthy. Because my faith is in him, not in the thing. Amen? And so I want to share a verse uh, in Romans eight twenty eight, And most of you know this verse too. But I almost cannot bring a message ever without sharing this verse because it's quickly becoming my favorite verse in the Bible. The more I study it, the more I understand it, the more powerful it is to me. And it says that, and we know in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. What a powerful, powerful verse. We, we know it so well, we can almost say it without even thinking much about it. But it really is powerful to know that God works the good in all things in our lives if we love him. 
That to me, that, that is enough for me to stand on no matter what happens. No matter what has happened in my life, I can stand on that word and say, okay, God, I know you're working this out for my good. And you know what, what else is so great about this verse is the word all. It's a small word, three letters, but it is so powerful because it tells me that not only does God work the good in some situations, he works the good in every single one. So I don't need to question. I don't need to worry. I don't need to think about it or, or contemplate it. All I need to do is stand on it and know that no matter what the situation is, God is working it for my good if I trust him, if I love him. What a powerful verse that we can stand on. The fact that that God gave us this is so good and so meaningful to me because I think of, um, you think of even uh, Job and what he went through. You know, we don't like to talk about Job either a whole lot because it doesn't really fit our narrative either because he really lost a lot of stuff and uh, he lost family and he was was one of the... really wealthy and had all these things and it was all taken from him and he did nothing to deserve it. The Bible said he was, he was the most righteous man in the land. He was more righteous than any of us in here, except for maybe Pastor Bowen. And yet everything was taken from him, everything. And you know what Job said? He said, though he slay me, still I will serve him. Wow. Though he slay me. Now, that sometimes is taken out of context too that, you know, well, that doesn't make sense. God doesn't slay people. He didn't slay Job. Of course he didn't slay Job. Job couldn't have said it if he was slayed. But what Job was saying is, you know what? I trust him. Even if he slays me, I'll serve him to my very last breath. Nothing can happen to me that will cause me to turn my back on God. That's a person whose faith was grounded in the character of God and not in the stuff. Amen. And what happened in the end? The end of Job, we see the the story really gets good at the end because he got back double everything he lost. And God blessed him. Do you think God would have blessed him if he listened to, to his family and his friends and said, hey, curse God and die? Of course not. But he knew that God was gonna work the good out in this situation for him. That was long before the book of Romans was ever written. So Job obviously had the mind and the heart of God in him. We look at Joseph. You know, Joseph had this vision when he was young and given this dream, you know, that his brothers and his, his dad was going to bow down to him. And he, you know, he had this wonderful promise from God. And we know that for 13 years, he almost literally went through hell. And I'm sure there was times where he was thinking, what in the world? Boy, did I miss it. But he didn't miss it. And he knew it. And in the end, every promise that was spoken over him, he was given. He walked into every one of those promises, but it wasn't necessarily when he wanted it to happen, but it did happen and it happened in God's timing for him. And if we look at Galatians nine, I'm sorry, Galatians six, there is no Galatians nine. Don't turn there. <laughs> Galatians six chapter or verse nine, Paul said, do not grow weary in doing good for in due time, you will reap a harvest. If you do not lose heart, do not grow weary in doing good church. Don't grow weary. When things are going, they're not going your way, don't grow weary in doing good in those situations because in due time, you will reap a harvest if you do not lose heart. Now, what does in due time mean? That means when God's good and ready. There's no formula for that. There's no exact figuring that out. But basically we know that in due time, we can trust God because we know that when he's ready, he's gonna gonna bring us a harvest in in those situations if we do not grow weary and and lose heart in doing good in those situations. That encourages me. So the third thing, the third key is to live with an eternal perspective. Now that is something that's very 
it's, it's not common for us to do, especially if you're young, you feel like you got your whole life ahead of you, you're invincible, you know, you're bulletproof, you're never going to die, you're just going to live forever. Uh, that's, I know that's how I felt in my 20s. Um, I'm in my 40s now, and that definitely is not how I feel anymore. Um, but it's, it's important that we as believers keep eternity in our hearts. You know, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has put eternity in our hearts. We all have, have that, that, that desire for eternity. It's built into us. But it's up to us whether or not we will cultivate it and make it grow and keep that perspective that, you know what, no matter what happens on this earth, this time on earth is, is short, and I can trust that eternity is going to be so much better. And no matter what happens here, I'm, I'm looking forward to what is in store for me long after I'm, I've left this earth. In fact, I want to do an illustration real quick. And my, uh, my helper in the first service isn't here. Tony, you want to come up and help me? Pastor Tony? So this is, a, uh, this is an illustration I'm stealing from Francis Chan. So if you don't like it, it's his fault. Um, where's the end? There it is. Okay, just, yeah, just walk on down there to the end. So this rope represents all the time that ever was and ever will be, okay? And basically this beginning here is, this is Genesis 1-1. This is when God created the heavens and the earth, okay? And this little black piece of tape right here, this is your life. This is us right now. This is where we're living, okay? So there was a beginning, and this is where we are now. How, how long this stretch here is, we don't know. We can argue about that all day, but that's not what this message is about. We know there was a time between creation and today. Everybody agree on that? Okay, good. So this little thing here is our life, and all of this that's left, this is eternity. This is, this is from the end of your life for infinity. Now, obviously, there is an end to this rope. Uh, I did not have enough money to buy an infinite length of rope. So you're going to have to bear with me and understand the, the, what we're, the heart of this, not... Don't go by the letter of the law. We're under grace, okay? So we have this little piece here. And in in actuality, if I was to really do this to scale, your life would be a much, much smaller piece of tape than this. In fact, you wouldn't even be able to see it from where you are. So I had to exaggerate just so you could see it. But you could see that the time that we're going to have here on earth is so minuscule compared to what eternity is going to be. Now, this that does not make this insignificant. This time is actually very significant because what we do on this determines what's going to happen here. Amen? The Bible talks about rewards, not just whether or not you go to heaven or hell, but there's also rewards that come in heaven. So this is very significant, but it's important that we see that this is very short. The Bible tells us that our life is like a vapor. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. And and as a side note, I think it's really interesting because, you know, the things that we want God to do for us here, sometimes those things don't happen the way we want. You know, we did not want Angela to die. Nobody did. But you know what? We didn't see her healing here, but in here, she's healed. She is healed and whole. She's a lot more healed than any of us will ever be on this earth. She's dancing. She's having a good old time, and she's living with the king right now. So our healing all comes eventually, whether or not we get it in this little stretch or not. Amen? But it's important that we understand how much more there is to life than this time we have on this big ball of gas called earth. Amen? And so when, when things do happen, when things... Thank you, Tony. That's good. You can just leave it. Give him a hand, everybody. And this helps us because when things do happen on this earth and, and uh, 
we think, you know, oh, why do I have such a bad lot in life? Why do things keep happening to me? You know, again, we can't always explain it all, but we can know and trust that God has more, for, more in store for us than just this life. There's more, there's more than these 80, 70, 80, 90 years that you get on this earth. And that to me is encouraging. For some of you, it might, be, it might seem so far off, it's not even worth talking about. But I'm telling you, it is worth talking about because it's going to come quicker than you think. As you get older, you know, if you think life goes fast, just talk to somebody that's 10 years older than you. Because to me, you know, a week or a month feels like a week. And, and you talk to Pastor Bowen now, he says a month feels like a day. You know, as, as you get older, it just speeds up. And you feel like, man, didn't we just have Christmas? And it's going to be tomorrow again? I can't believe it, you know. But your kids, the kids, they're like, oh, Christmas only comes once every 10 years. You know, it never comes. But time speeds up and goes fast. And so we have to be always mindful of living with an eternal perspective. Romans 8.18 says, I can, Paul said, I consider this present suffering not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. So he was saying that the suffering that we deal with on this earth, it's not even worth comparing to what we're going to have in eternity. It's not even worth, like, if you wanted to compare it, like, say, well, you know, if you could talk to God, say, God, so, you know, give me a little idea. What would you say, like, the difference between being with you in heaven and, you know, this, this junk I'm going through here on earth? How would you compare it? He would say, <laughs> you can't. It's not worth comparing. It's, it's not worth talking about. It's not even worth wasting your breath because you can't do it. I mentioned the first service. It's like, it's like trying to arm wrestle an ant. You know, you can't even do it. Like it doesn't even physically, it doesn't work because the arms aren't even long enough to even have an arm wrestling match. You know, it's like, it's so ludicrous to even compare it. And it doesn't belittle the suffering that we're dealing with now. A lot of you are going through stuff that you would say, yes, today I'm suffering. I'm going through a season of suffering. It doesn't belittle that at all. That, that is very real. And that's, that's just it. Like that's the, that's the part of this. That's the other side of it is that, you know, God cares about our suffering. That's why Jesus came and did what he did. He cares about that and we can stand on faith. We can stand on truth and believe for healing, for miracles, for provision, for all those things. It doesn't belittle that. But at the same time, it's saying, but in light of eternity, this is so nothing. And that's, that should actually encourage us. Like no matter what I'm going through here, I, it's not even, I'm not even gonna be able to remember it when I'm in heaven. It's like, I don't even remember that. Who, who cares about that? Because I'm with the king, you know? And so we need to keep, working on having that perspective and we have to be intentional about it. Okay, the fourth key is do not resent the trials of life. We have to be careful to guard against resenting the trials that come in our life. Because like I said earlier at the very beginning, that, that our faith is, is authenticated by trials in our life. We realize where our faith is by trials. We should not resent when trials come. It doesn't mean we invite them. We don't say, oh yeah, good, come on, bring on some cancer and bring on some, some financial difficulties and things that I can't handle. That's what I'm looking forward to. We don't, we don't look forward to them, but we don't have to resent them because we can know that God is working out the good in those situations. I, I think of, uh, of the example of like a football team. You know, we're in football season and in college football, especially sometimes you'll see some very lopsided games where, you know, it's obvious that a, a, a team that is able to recruit the best players, they're playing a, an in-state team that just doesn't have near the talent level and they're just blowing them out. And you go to these stretches where this team will just blow everybody out for a while. And you'll hear the analysts say it all the time. They say, yeah, but we need to wait and see. We don't really know how good they are. We're not going to know how good they are until they're really tested, until they're trailing in the fourth quarter by 10 points with six minutes to go. That's when we're going to see what they're really made of. 
And it's true. And that is when you see it. Well, you see how a team responds to adversity on the field. And I know that's a really rough comparison because nothing on a football field of losing a game has anything to do with real life stuff and, and how much stuff we can go through in the real life. But the analogy works because it's important that we understand that our faith is, is, is uh, elevated, it grows, it's cultivated through the things that happen to us in our life and through the trials that we may go to. In fact, James chapter 1, verse 3 James even says that we are to consider it pure joy whenever we face trials of many kinds because we know that the testing of our faith produces perseverance. Now, that's a bold statement. That's, not, that's another verse that we don't like to talk about a lot. I don't, I don't like to read that one. When I read over that one, I usually just skip over it real quick and go to James 1 verse 4. I don't even know what that says, but I'm sure it's better than verse 3. Amen? But the thing of it is, it's truth. It's truth. And if we, can, we, can, we, if we have the perspective that God wants us to have, if we are saying that we will trust him and our faith is built on trusting him, we can actually consider it joy when we go through trials. Now, again, it doesn't mean we look forward to him like, man, I can't wait for the next one that comes along. It's not that word joy there doesn't necessarily mean like happy and dancing around and giddy about it. But it means that we go through it with peace. We go through it with an understanding that this isn't going to rattle me because my faith is in God and we can trust him in the middle of it, no matter what it is, no matter what's going on, it's not going to rattle me. It's not going to rattle my faith in God. I may be sad. I may be grieving depending on the situation, but it's not going to rattle who I see God as and, and who I look at him as. And so we can go through these situations with joy. And the thing of it is with, with trials in our lives. Uh, and again, I feel like I'm saying this a lot, but this is another thing that that it's sometimes hard to say or hard to hear as believers, but sometimes the trials that come in our life are actually from God. <coughs> Excuse me. The Bible says that God disciplines those that he loves, right? So if he disciplines those he loves, in fact, in Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12, it says, my son, don't despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. And that's also in Hebrews 12, verse 5. So sometimes the trials that come in our life are from God. Now, let me be very careful with that because I don't believe God gives us cancer. God doesn't, there, there's a lot of things, a lot of the tragic things that happen in life, those aren't from God. But what God will do is he will allow certain things to happen in our lives to discipline us, to raise us up, to help our faith to grow. If you're a parent, you totally understand what it means to discipline your kid. You know, and you've learned, some of you probably learned the hard way, that if you don't discipline your kid, they're going to be a brat. And so we as, as finite parents even know the importance of raising up our kids and disciplining our kids and not necessarily giving them everything they want because our understanding is greater than theirs. I have, I have a middle child. If you have a middle child, you, I don't even have to explain to you what that means but I have a middle child and she wants to know everything all the time. Anytime Joy and I are talking, she wants to be a part of it. She wants to know what we're talking about. She wants to understand it. She wants to ask probing questions and she wants to have full understanding. And almost daily, it feels like I find myself telling her, nope, you don't need to understand that. It's not, it's, it's big people stuff. You don't need to understand. You just need to trust me. You don't need to get it. You don't need to figure it all out. I don't need to give you a PowerPoint presentation of why you need to do this. You just need to do it. 
And if we as parents with our kids know that, how much more is the God of the universe that's infinite and knows infinitely more than us, how much more would he do that to us? I mean, it just makes sense. But here we are whining and complaining when stuff happens that we don't like and we're shaking our fist at God or we're saying, God, why, why, why? When really sometimes it's, it's discipline from him. And the Bible tells us clearly, don't resent it. Don't, don't refuse it. Don't, don't hate the discipline of God because we can trust that if he's disciplining us, that he's taking us to a place that we couldn't get to on our own. And that's where I want to be. Of course, on, on, on the front side of it, we don't want it. But man, on the back side of it, we look back, we go, oh, that was great. Man, I'm so glad I didn't get that promotion. I mean, I thought for sure it was God's will for me to get that promotion. I didn't get it, and I was mad and upset and crying. And turns out, you know, two months later, I got a better job that I couldn't have even applied for if I had this promotion or whatever. You know, there's infinite stories of that, of where we felt like it should have been this way, and it didn't go that way, and we're mad, and we're whining, and we act like my middle child sometimes. But then in the few, down the road, and we can look back and see, in hindsight, we see, oh, okay, I guess God didn't know what he was doing. How about that? <laughs> He still knows a little bit more than me, you know? But then again, there are times that we'll go down the road, we'll look back and we still don't understand it. We still can't figure it out. And we have to be okay with that. We have to be okay with not being able to figure everything out because his ways are so much higher than ours. And then the fifth key. There's just one word, focus. A key, one of the biggest keys to, under, to, to trusting God when you don't understand is, to, to, is where is your focus? To be focused on him and him alone. You will not ever accidentally trust God. It's not your default to trust God. You know, in the age of computers, we all understand what a default setting is. Your default setting is to trust yourself and to want what you want, when you want it, how you want it, and why you want it. And so to think that, oh, you know, if I could just, you know, try to be a good person, I'll just probably just trust God when, when bad things happen, I'll just you know, I'll be okay. I'll, I'm sure I'll just be able to say, yeah, yeah, it's good. I trust him. We have to be very intentional. We have to be focused on trusting him. And I want to ask you a question today. Is your faith in God, if you're in a situation right now where you really need God to show up for you, you're really wanting him to show up, whatever way it might be. I mean, there, there's more things that I could even mention that we could be going through. But if, if there's a thing that you're, that you're trusting God for and you're really believing for God to move on your behalf, is your faith focused on the outcome that you want or is it focused on the character of God? And we need to be very real with ourselves and we need to be honest with ourselves and ask ourselves that question. Is my faith focused on what I want to see, what I, the outcome that I want in this situation? Is my whole faith just based on this better happen the way I want it to? We would never say that out loud, but that's the way we get in our mind. This, this needs to happen the way I want it to happen. Is your faith focused on that or is it focused on him and who he is? Because I'm telling you today, if your faith is focused on the outcome, you may not get burned this time. You may not get burned next time, but eventually you will get burned because the outcome does not happen every single time the way you want it. Because we don't know what the right outcome is a lot of times. We just don't know. There's no way for us to know. And I can tell you if Daniel Rodriguez's faith was fixated on Angela being healed and not dying, he would be a mess right now. People that, that, that deal with that all the time, that walk away from God, walk away from the church, they, they just completely shut God off and they build up walls between them and God saying, nope, I trusted you, I believed you, I believed you were gonna move on my behalf in this situation, you didn't do it, I'm done. 
and they can live a very lackluster life. They, maybe they'll, they'll, they'll tell people they're a Christian, but they're not really trusting God for anything anymore. And they, they kind of come to church and they kind of have that wait and see attitude. You know, they're the, they sit in the back with their arms folded, like, mm, we'll see if God does anything, you know, but they're not really expecting it because, you know, he let me down one time. So I don't really, I don't think I'm going to believe him anymore. But if your faith isn't focused on the outcome, but it's focused on the person that can give you the outcome you want, then the outcome is less important. You still want that outcome. We still stand on faith. We still believe for that thing. We never, ever stop believing God for the things that we feel he has called us to believe him for. And, we, and if it lines up with the word, that we stand on it, we believe it. But we also have to be very real with ourselves and understand that if it doesn't happen the way I would have wanted it to happen, it's not going to waver my faith in him. Because my faith isn't in that. My faith's in him. And if my faith is in him, I can trust him no matter what. If it was good enough for Job, if it was good enough for Joseph, it should be good enough for us. It was good enough for Paul. Look at Paul. He, was, he had a thorn in his flesh, you know. Another, man, I'm just bringing out all the stuff we don't like to talk about today. But it was another thing. It's not fun to talk about the thorn in the flesh. That doesn't, that doesn't match up with our narrative. Wait, no, no, no. We don't talk about that. That's, you know, that, was a, that was an aberration. You know, if we could, we'd tear it out of our Bible. I mean, we wouldn't say that out loud, but you know what I mean. We don't, we don't, that's not a verse we want to meditate on because that doesn't have a happy ending when it comes to what we want because Paul asked God three times to take this thorn from his flesh. And God basically, in a roundabout way, said, ain't going to do it. He basically told him no. And what did God say? He said, my grace is sufficient for you because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. He, he was saying, my grace is sufficient. If I don't heal you, if I don't get rid of this thorn, you can still trust me because of who I am. If it was good enough for Paul, it's good enough for us. I'm so thankful that Paul's faith wasn't based in the outcome. It wasn't based on whether or not God removed this thorn because if it was, we'd have, our, our New Testament would be a lot smaller. And so if it was good enough for him, it should be good enough for us. We have to focus on who he is. And we have to be willing to trust God no matter what. I'm going to ask the, uh, the praise team to come and the, uh, and the prayer team as I close. And I'm going to, I want to pray for you today. I want to challenge you this morning. I, there's actually a, um, you know, most of you probably know the song, uh, It Is Well With My Soul. It was written by Horatio Spafford back in the late 1800s. And, uh, if you've been in church for a while, you, you know the song, you can sing it. Uh, and a lot of you probably do know the, the history of it, but I want to share with you because I think it's, it's really appropriate for today. Her, uh, Mr. Spafford had four daughters and, uh, and his wife, and they were going to go to Europe from here on vacation. And so he sent, he, they were all going to go together, but at the last minute, he was an attorney. And at the last minute, he had some work he had to finish up, so he couldn't go when they were going. So he sent them on ahead, and he stayed back to finish up some work. And then he was going to go meet them over in England. And uh, on the way, the boat collided with something, sank. All four of his daughters drowned and perished. And his wife survived. And he actually got a telegram from her when she got to England. Because this was back before we had telephones and all that. He got a telegram from her saying that uh, the daughters had all perished and she was the only one that survived. And so Horatio got on a boat to go over to England to be with his wife, to grieve with her as they grieve over their, the loss of their four daughters. And uh, history says that on his way there, as he passed close to the area where the ship would have sank, that is actually where he got inspired to write the words to that song. 
it is well with my soul. Even so, it is well with my soul. And I think, man, what a powerful testimony that is. I don't know if I would be able to do something like that if I just found out that all my kids were gone. And for him to be able to do that shows us that his faith and his trust was in the Lord. Because I'm sure he was saying, I don't understand why my daughters had to die or why they died. I don't get it. But even so, it is well with my soul. That's a person that's focused and fixated on the goodness of God and who God is. And one of the verses that actually says, and Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. So he was wanting the day of Jesus coming back and taking him with him. He wanted that day to come quickly. This is a guy that's grieving and mourning over the loss of his family. But at the end he's saying, even so, it is well with my soul. Because he knew God. And he knows who God is. And he knows that he can trust him no matter what. And church, that's where we have to get in our lives. We have to get to that place where we will trust him no matter what. We have to be resolute that no matter, because trials are going to come. You may never have to, to, to bury your 31-year-old wife. You may never have anything like that happen in your life. But trials are, trials are there all the time. We are promised. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But you could take heart because he's overcome the world. And we know that no matter what trouble we have here, we're going to be with him one day. And we can stand on that and we can believe that. We can live for that. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, if you would, please. If you would like prayer today for provision, healing, relationships, whatever it may be, that you want to ask God to move on your behalf, I'm going to ask you to come to the sides here. These prayer leaders on the sides will be happy to pray with you. You can find a place to pray on your own if you want to. But I'd like to pray for those of you that would like to come to the middle here. I'd like to pray over you. If, you just, if this has touched your heart and you just want to say, God, I want to trust you more. I want to trust you more. I want to be able to go through every trial in my life and trust you and stand on who you are and not just on the results that I want. We still want the results, but we're standing on who he is. And by coming forward, you're not saying that you don't trust him. It just means we want to trust him more because I've, frankly, we all need to trust him more. None of us have arrived. You know, Paul, if Paul fully trusted God 100%, no questions asked. He wouldn't have asked him three times to take the thorn out of his flesh. He wanted it removed. There's a part of him that's still wanting what he wanted. But what we see is that when he didn't get what he wanted, he continued to serve God. He continued to walk with him. He continued to do the work that God had called him to do. This is a guy that was flogged more, more than once. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten up. He was stoned. I mean, he went through it all. If anybody had a right to gripe about not getting something done the way you want it done, it was Paul. And yet we don't see any evidence of him complaining or walking away or saying, forget this, I'm done with this. We see him in prison singing worship songs because he knows who God is and he knows that I can trust him in the midst of this. I can trust him. It doesn't matter what's going on in my life. It doesn't change the fact that I can trust him and know that he's good. And I can lean on him and I can be hidden in him. And so I want, I want anybody that wants prayer this morning, just come to the front. I'm going to pray over you. And we're just going to believe God to, to move on your behalf and to help you supernaturally to trust him. So come on up. Hallelujah.